Hello and welcome back to The Whole Tooth, a podcast all about sharks brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation and me, your host, Dr. Isla Hodgson. Every episode, I pitch one of your questions about sharks and their underwater habitat to a panel of marine experts. And today's question is one that we've been getting quite a lot recently, which is, should I swim with sharks? Now, this brings us into the world of shark tourism. And to help me answer this question, I've asked Nikki and Rich from Celtic Deep to join me. Now, Celtic Deep is an organisation based in the UK, which take people on incredible experiences out into the waters between Wales and Ireland. And they work with a huge diversity of wildlife, including the blue shark, and teach people how to encounter them responsibly in the wild. So I thought Nikki and Rich would be absolutely perfect to help me answer this question. Nikki and Rich are incredibly experienced at what they do and have worked extensively both under and above the waves with both marine life and people. Nikki is a freediving and scuba instructor and a safety diver for film and TV productions and she has always tried to have a conservation angle to her diving so she is also a core volunteer with Neptune's Army of Rubbish Cleaners, the longest running ghost fishing charity in the UK. Rich is also an accomplished diver, marine scientist, and the co-founder and director of the Maldives Whale Shark Programme. He has 12 years worth of experience in shark conservation and research. Together, Nikki and Rich created Celtic Deep to promote marine conservation and action and start researching the marine life on their own doorstep. I really enjoyed this episode, not only because I get to talk about my home turf, UK waters, but also because it's a very nuanced and balanced discussion on the shark tourism industry. We touch on so many important topics, including social media, the potential impacts of tourism on shark welfare and how we can avoid them, and changing perceptions about these incredible animals. So without further ado, let's dive in. guys welcome to the podcast hi isla hi good morning thank you for coming on oh you're very welcome yeah it's good to see you so today we have a very interesting question to answer actually which is should i swim with sharks which brings a lot of questions about encountering sharks in the wild about wildlife tourism um, and about kind of like the ethics of that but before we get our teeth sunk into this question I want to talk about you guys first. So I just wondered if, I've already introduced you, but I just wondered if in your own words, you could describe who you are and what is it that you do. Um, so Nikki, we'll start with you. Okay, I'm Nikki. Um, I'm part of Celtic Deep with Rich. And alongside that, I also work as a dive safety and camera assistant for wildlife documentary filmmaking. And I'm Rich, Richard Reese. Um, I am as the other half of Celtic Deep, um, and then when I'm not doing that, I'm also a uh, director of the Maldives Whale Shark Research Programme, which is a, a charity that uh, founded back in 2006. Awesome, and they're very cool hats to wear, I must say. Um, my next question, given the amount of experience that you both now have in and you know under the water, it's probably quite a difficult one, um, which is what is your most memorable experience in the oceans so rich if we if we can start with yours 
Yeah, I found this one tough. But I I came to one which was actually not in the water, but um, was the most awe-inspiring sight I think I had that I, I sort of I always go back to as a memory. As an 18-year-old, I was on a sailing boat and it was at night and um, we were actually between um, Ecuador on a sort of way um, to the Galapagos on a sailing boat and um, this already sounds like a boast. I'm really sorry about that, but it's a... It's, it was it was very cool, and um, I was hitchhiking on sailboats at the time. I, it was a, it was the dead of night, which basically meant I was terrified for four hours, thinking I was going to crash the boat. And uh, suddenly there was this sort of massive ghostly glow that sort of came in under the boat and just sort of moved around the boat. And I, my first thought that I was losing my mind because I'd been up so late, and you know. And then, um, so I got my mate to come up and have a look as well, just to try and sort of make sense of it all. And um, we were watching this massive, like, cloud of glowing things around, just moving around the boat. Suddenly, it was just like this this uh, big black fin just sort of came up, like, higher than we were sat in the cockpit of the sailing boat, ne- right next to us. And, and just an orca came up right next to us. And it, and it was moving through phosphorescence in the water, that's incredible. That's like one of those moments where you're kind of like, like you said, yeah, yeah. am I dreaming? Am I imagining this yeah. is happening? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But still on the surface. So, there you are. I've, I've left underwater for you, Nikki. You can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> Don't quite have an Ecuador to the Galapagos type of situation. But, yeah, same, same question to you then, Nikki. Yeah, like Rich, there's so many. And each one is special for so many different reasons, but probably one which was just a pinch myself moment. And it's what happens when you meet people all around the world. And it's this like dive family that comes together. So I met a friend that was a friend from Dahab where I'd done my freediving training and another girl that I'd worked with in Thailand. And they were both ended up working and living in Tromso. She was a marine biologist and he's mm-hmm. a freediver who's into sort of adventuring. And uh, I went to see them both and basically went out in a tiny little rib. It was like a three and a half, four metre rib out into the fjords in Tromso, uh, basically to go swimming with orcas and humpbacks. And uh, we ended up, we had, it was in the winter, so we had about four hours of daylight and we mm-hmm. ended up finding um, like a little lagoon, shallow lagoon, sandy bottom with a mother and a calf that stayed with us for those hours of sunlight and just swimming with us, curious, you know, rolling, showing their bellies, just bit totally accepting of us in their environment. And, yeah, it was incredible, incredible few hours. And just the, the daylight when it is there in the wintertime in Norway is incredible. And the mountains mm-hmm. just hitting the sea there is just insane. And to have to be accepted into the world by these yeah. two huge animals who are just as curious of you as you are of them. You know, that was, yeah. that's one that sticks in the memory, as does the drive home in the freezing cold. <laughs> when we were all like, <laughs> 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 no. I think, I, I feel like we're really betraying the sharks here, Nikki. Like we've, we've let them down big time. We've gone with just like a couple Don't of worry. whale stories. Don't worry, they'll get plenty of space <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> But yeah, that sounds, that's such a special experience to have had. And I think as well, like, it's that mixture of experiences, isn't it really? It's kind of like where you are and sometimes you get these really magical 
like settings and also the way the weather is and who you're with as well can have such a make such a difference that brings us on very nicely to Celtic Deep and um, so can you tell me a little bit about what Celtic Deep is and how how it actually came to be if I had to sort of nutshell Celtic Deep the main elements are that we're we're going offshore um, whether that's be to sort of offshore islands or offshore into the Celtic Deep um, and we're also very passionate about getting in the water as well so they're the two things I'd say that sort of sum us up in terms of an experience. In terms of our approach, um, I think we're we're sort of really passionate about um, wildlife. Obviously, we're really passionate about free diving um, and just the sort of the experience of getting in the water. And I'm sure Nikki will talk to you more about that. Um, but we're also really passionate about sort of research as well and conservation. So we're keen for Celtic Deep to have like a role in um yeah learning more about the animals that are going out and the habitats that we're, that we're visiting and and also ultimately hopefully sharing by th- sharing our experiences and, and sharing through sort of outreach work that we can um get people more invested in both wanting to come out with us but also sort of you know wanting to protect those areas as well so yeah that's uh i guess where we're, we're sort of we're coming from i think yeah Absolutely. Good nutshell. Yeah. Slightly bigger, more of a coconut, but... <laughs> like, your Instagram is just incredible. Like, you've just got so many amazing pictures of these experiences that you have. Um, so, Nikki, do you want to talk a little bit about the sort of freediving aspect and, and, and sort of the things that you do with that? Um, yeah. I don't know. how It's a tricky one. So, the freediving side is in development because it's... Mm-hmm. It's this thing which I'm sure we'll touch on later, which a lot of people are not acclimatised to the UK waters. And so getting people to the point where they're sort of understanding to wear the right protective clothing and then what it means to be in cold water freediving as opposed to what it means to be in warm water freediving is an evolution. So I've started to do some courses for people at an introductory level. um, Mm -hmm. And that's the way I'd like to introduce people to it as something within this country because it's freediving is such a thing that it's it's a progression for your mind and body it's not something that could be learned and you get a ticket and you're an open water freediver for example it's not it's not the same as scuba it's something your body is the tool rather than a piece of equipment now Speaking of getting in the water, I'm going to start our deep dive into this week's question, which is, should I swim with sharks? And the reason I've asked you both on to help me answer this one is because not only do you take people in the ocean, but you also take them swimming with blue sharks, which we'll get into a little bit later on. Uh, But first, I thought an interesting place to start was actually the roots of this question, because we've been getting it asked more and more as we you know ramp up to summer and I just wanted to know if you guys had noticed that people are perhaps more interested in having these sorts of in-water experiences with sharks and if so why do you think that is? As a as a whole I think it's it's kind of a it's been a sort of a a new you could say that it's kind of a new thing where we are and um, the response to it's been overwhelmingly sort of positive and I think people are just really excited so for us once it got out there once some, some of like nikki's pictures were out there um yeah the the, the you know the, 
the sort of the equivalent of the phone just kept ringing, you know, and, and we've, we've been sort of booked up uh, quite quickly. And, you know, it, it's been an amazing response. Um, you mentioned social media there. Do you think that's had quite a big role in making people more aware of these experiences and perhaps, you know, wanting to do them more? Yeah, I mean, yes, certainly it has from our side. And I think it's had both really positive uh, outcomes and also some that are potentially not so positive. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. I think the the obviously positive messages are sort of um, good codes of conduct in the water with uh, animals, respect for the animals, promoting protection of the animals. And then there's some other ones where it's, a bit more kind of dodgy ground about maybe the message isn't right or um, I think it's kind of making it look like oh you can just go in and pet a shark which is which is not not the message that we want to be getting across. Yeah I think I think we all have to be quite careful about how we sort of portray our experiences with wildlife and, and I think you know that's whether that's as a tour operator or as a tourist yeah the, the, the easiest way to sell a trip is to just put like amazing photos of uh, blue sharks interacting with us and probably the ones where you know they sort of um, come close to the camera almost appear to like you know come at you almost they're they're probably the ones that are going to get more of a response and things like that and you know as Nikki mentioned you know like sure yeah if you're you're going to start hanging on to a shark or or whatever then yeah it 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 looks like sort of shocking and it and it gets liked it gets shared but I think sort of that sort of like sensationalist view of sharks can be you know whether you were doing it to sort of you know, promote shark conservation or not, it's just the sensationalism around sharks isn't good. I think we need to sort of bring it down a notch. We need to sort of like, you know, these are animals that just need a bit more sort of um, reverence and, and respect in terms of how we approach them. You know, when we're posting stuff, what we do try to do for posting stuff about sort of shark interactions is also just, or any wildlife interaction, is if there's code of conduct, code of conducts that are either exist or that we follow, then we put those out there next to the photo because, you know, hopefully then it's always sort of reinforcing this idea that there is a there's a certain way to go about these things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, social media can be such a double-edged sword in that you know on the one hand you've got the really positive influence of people becoming more aware of sharks, but on the other hand you've got to be really careful that not everybody thinks that they can just you know, hop in the water and, you know, hang on to a shark's fin. (laughs) So, you know, that brings us on, you know, kind of really nicely to these experiences, you know, actually encountering sharks in the water. So I wanted to ask you first a little bit about the blue shark itself um, and, you know, what what is its behaviour like and, and why do they come to UK waters? Okay, well, the blue sharks are a very migratory species, so they'll basically follow the whole Gulf Stream along. They'll come up to us when the waters are warm enough, so from 12 degrees uh, and above is when we'll start to see them. Where we are in Pembrokeshire, we're mainly seeing females, um, which is quite interesting. Again, we don't know enough about why we're just seeing the females around us at the moment, but... um, so we're getting the females are slightly bigger than the males so we're getting sharks of about two to two and a half meters sometimes and then smaller Mm. and they'll have these incredible mating scars um i think it was about mid-july wasn't it rich when we were seeing a lot with the mating scars um they're coming to us essentially following the food trail so the kind of 
fish that they're feeding on, herring, scad, uh, squid, all that kind of stuff is in the water. And what actually does a a shark swim look like? You know, what is what is the the process of getting people in the water with these animals? Okay, well, we um, head out to the deep, which takes us about roughly two hours. Um, and then once we get to our marker, which is, we've got a, the, the deep is actually not that deep. It's actually only 100 metres deep, but it's this area of upwelling, nutritional upwelling, which is why it sort of is where we will find the sharks. Um, and we stop the boat at that point, so the engine's off, so we're just floating platform. And then uh, we start to put some chum in the water, and this is uh, just to create create a scent trail. It's just sort of the promise of a feed. It's not, we're not putting food in the water when we're there, but it brings the sharks to the boat. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously there's issues around chumming, habituation, all this kind of stuff. We're very careful to not sort of go to the same marker every time. We're not feeding the sharks when they're coming in. Um, we're sort of keen to avoid any kind of habituation uh, with, with them at all. Um, but once we get there, it's, it's a waiting game, basically. So we'll sit and we'll drift with the currents and then that will mean that the, um, the, the scent will be out in the direction of the drift behind us. Mm-hmm. And then it could be anything from the moment we stop the boat to 20 minutes before we leave for the day <laughs> that we get the sharks <laughs> coming in. Um, and the sharks that tend to come in faster are the poor beagles because they are used to sort of knowing about fishing boats so that they're quite attracted to the engine noise. So sometimes they'll be there instantly, but they're a little bit shyer. So we've never successfully really got in the water with a poor beagle. They'll sort of stay around below us and then they'll be very skitty and go off. And they're an incredible mm. little shark. They're like a little little bulldog, mini great white kind of yeah. thing. Um, that's a great way of describing them actually like, yeah. like the bulldog of the shark world yeah yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but they're very very shy so they really don't sort of stick around for us but then the blues are another they're so intensely curious and they'll just come in and they'll stay around um so when we get the sharks we sort of wait on the boat and see how comfortable they are with us and then either mm-hmm. rich or myself will slip into the water to sort of very very quietly go in Um, and then we'll see how comfortable they are. Once we see that they're staying, then we'll um, get clients in. We take maximum four people in with one Mm -hmm. guide each time, and it's a very controlled situation, so we have a rope off the back of the boat with a boy on it. If we've got any kind of strength of current or anything, we don't let people let go of the rope, so everybody's just there in the water, face in the water in a vertical position, being able to watch the sharks circling around them. Uh, If we've got a little bit more slack water and it's benign enough to allow people to swim off the rope a bit, we allow them to do that. But it's controlled within a small amount of people within the water at any time. And Mm -hmm. then there's always either Rich or myself in the water with the other one of us on the boat as a spotter. And the the role of the spotter is to not only be able to tell the people on the boat, well, look here, this is another shark coming in. But it's also Mm -hmm. sometimes we get passing cetaceans. And if you're lucky enough to be in the water when we've got wow. a passing cetacean, sometimes last year we got incredibly lucky with these pods of dolphins came through the middle of us while we had sharks. <laughs> um, so that allows the spotter on the boat will allow people to say, look in that direction, they're coming in. Um, yeah. Obviously, we don't jump in with cetaceans, but if we're already in the water, 
mm-hmm. and they come through it would be more of a disturbance if suddenly everybody was getting out so we just stay yeah. very very passive at all times in the water obviously no touching no chasing no nothing we're just completely passive there to watch and that's mm-hmm. the way we go about it wow okay so those experiences sound absolutely incredible and I am ashamed to say that I live in the UK and I have never seen a blue shark um, underwater so I would absolutely love to have that experience but yeah you raised some really interesting points there about how we can encounter sharks in a way that minimizes disturbance on them Um, and so that kind of really brings me on to my next talking point, which is what the negative impacts can be on the sharks themselves, you know, of these kinds of experiences. And, you know, why do we need to be so conscious of these impacts? I think the thing to remember is that, like, sharks don't just they don't do anything um, just for the hell of it, you know. They sort of, every single behaviour a shark is, like, carrying out at any point is, like, really important to it. Um, so I think what you've got to do as much as possible is minimize your impact on that. So, um, for example, if you were to touch a shark, the almost certain response from most shark species is that they will sort of evade your touch. So they will sort of try and escape that situation. Um, they don't sort of necessarily, like, well, we don't know for sure how they perceive us, but they certainly like by reaching out to them, we're sort of like a threat on some level. Um, and they're going to take action. Everything from sort of like how a shark uses, you know, energy-wise, anything like that is is going to be affected. Um, so we're going to essentially you're stopping a shark doing what it needs to do. Um, and that doesn't sound like the biggest deal, but actually it's sort of, you know, if that's something that happens on a regular basis, particularly in areas where they, perhaps they aggregate or they gather for a particular reason, um, that can actually have quite a catastrophic effect across a sort of a population or subpopulation of sharks so we need to be really careful about that and um you know the other one that nikki touched on upon before with sharks and we've tried to be sort of really open with this you know that, that we've sort of it is nuanced um but you know that sharks um that, that you know i think it's pretty well documented but basically that there's a couple of issues that come away around sort of feeding sharks or um uh, or sort of uh, chumming as well potentially if you're doing it in the same place in time regularly then you can develop sort of habits in sharks where they're, they're attracted to a certain um, feeding opportunity or what they perceive as a feeding opportunity and if they are rewarded then and if it does happen on a regular basis then they, it can actually change their behavior and it can sort of they can become sort of reliant on that source of food or they can um, it can interrupt their normal foraging behavior um, and we call that sort of habituation, which is, which is something that is, yeah, can be very damaging. Um, I think, you know, some examples, for example, would be perhaps in the Philippines where you have uh, whale shark feeding. Um, and, and you, you know, there's quite a lot of controversy around that um, because from a research point of view and the scientist's point of view, that they, they feel like it's actually having quite an impact on the sharks. touch on this briefly but um i just wanted to pick up on that last point that you made because it's really interesting so how can we minimize 
our impacts on sharks uh, in the water, especially as, you know, there are some good sides to tourism. So, you know, sometimes we do need it. Um, but how can we minimise those impacts that you've just described? What we try and do is we are chumming for sharks. Um, and the reason we do that is because with an oceanic species or pelagic species like the blue shark, the chances of you jumping in the water in the Celtic deep and bumping into one, incredibly low. Um, you do have to sort of uh, basically use their incredible senses and their sort of uh, instincts for sort of seeking out uh, feeding opportunities in the open ocean to your, to, to, get, to bring them in close to you. And that's why we use the sun trail. Um, we, you know, you're talking about a sort of highly mobile um, species that, um, and they are quite sort of, they're sort of numerous, the, you know, the, 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 the chances of us bumping into the same blue shark on, on any given day, um, it, the same one, again, is, is probably pretty low, but we, at the same time, we're not sort of uh, resting on our laurels on that. So we are doing sort of photo identification with the fins of, of the blue sharks, which, you know, see whether we are seeing the same individuals again. Um, and we're also, as Nikki says, so we're not going out at the same times on, we're not going out on a day-to-day -day basis, on a, a regular day-to-day -day basis. We're not going to the same spots. So really we're trying to minimize that, that opportunity or that, that possibility of habituation of the sharks. And the other thing then is, is that we don't feed the sharks. So we simply don't take any food into the water with us or, mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason we, we don't do that and is, is because of association, which is the other sort of issue that comes around sort of our interactions with sharks potentially. And, yeah. and that's sort of sharks associating humans with food and, you know, that, that, that being a problem with that. So that's, yeah. they're the sort of the, the things that we, the measures we take, I guess. Yeah. And, and how about the other way around? Because, you know, I've been talking a lot about minimising our disturbance to the sharks themselves, but there's also another party in the water as well. You know, there's obviously the people involved and, and they are encountering a wild animal. So how do you teach people to act around sharks in the water um, and, you know, treat them with the respect that they deserve, but at the same time, you know, manage themselves and manage their own behaviour? So we keep people very passive in the water, like I said, in a sort of vertical position, but head in the water. And mm -hmm. we are some sort of head in the water and not out of the water for more than five seconds at any time. And like I said, either Rich or I are in the water with them, observing what the sharks are doing and observing any change in behaviour. Sharks are not only curious, but also they're attracted to the electromagnetic um, fields from, say, cameras and things like this. So often they'll come and bump the dome of somebody's camera or if it's a tiny little camera like a gopro you know obviously they're coming right in um mm -hmm. but that's fine we just tell people you know you can put your fins in between yourself and the shark or you can use the dome of the camera just have that there in front of you the shark will bump mm -hmm. it and then move away mm -hmm. um if we notice any kind of agitation in the water um say sometimes if there's a lot of sharks around us and one of the bigger ones might start to get a little bit more agitated then all we'd say is okay everybody just up out and we'll sit out for a little bit and then either Rich or I will go back in and just sort of see and it's fine it'll just tend to be that whole thing as Rich mentioned you know they'll be thinking oh what are these guys in here for are they after our fish so and one shark yeah. might just be a little bit more territorial so it's just a bit case of letting that all calm down showing we're not there as a threat mm -hmm. um and then it's all 
okay to be back in there again. No splashing as well. So we give people weight belts to just keep their feet in under the water. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as I said, when we slip in, it's literally a slip without a splash. And then you're on the line yeah. and you're just not kicking. You're just vertical in the water, just watching. And then yeah. you can turn and sort of watch them move around you. They're generally sort of slink around your feet. Um, so, yeah, it's just about, which ties back to freediving, minimal movement, conserve all mm-hmm. your energy and don't create yeah. any kind of... Uh, waves in yeah. their environment yeah absolutely your body language is so so important not just when you're interacting with sharks but when you're interacting with you know all manners of wildlife and um, so I think that's that's such an important point and um, but we've talked quite a lot about the sort of potentially like negative sides of tourism but there there are some really big positives to it as well and one that uh, you mentioned before Rich was actually increasing public awareness around sharks and changing people's perceptions about sharks. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, because, you know, sharks typically have quite a bad rep in the media. A lot of people are actually afraid of sharks. Um, so I just kind of wanted to, I was just wondering if, you know, where does that fear come from? And, you know, do you think it's founded in anything? Um, and also lastly, you know, how important is it? Or, or what is the potential of shark tourism to actually, you know, change public perception. Where does it come from? I think it's. I think it's probably, um, you know, to a large degree. I think it is about sort of um, that fear of the unknown. Um, you know, largely it's it's about feeling, you know, being in water is something that sort of um, makes people feel uncomfortable a lot of the time, particularly if you can't see what's below you, mm-hmm. and and I think sort of like sharks um and that, and that's that's what sort of spielberg you know george is always going to come into this conversation um but you know that's what he played upon um quite brilliantly and and i think it's sort of you know it is a rational fear on some level you know it's um you know these are these are uh, predators in the water you know like it, we should we should have respect for them we feel that on some level as soon as i get in that water everything under that water is just going to turn around and go Rich is here. I need to go. <laughs> right, I'm after him. You know, and it's like, well, not really. No, like these things have managed for millions of years without us uh, yeah. dropping into the water every now and again. Um, we are not remotely on the sort of like their radar in terms of like yes. a food source. Yeah, we we just we need to sort of just reset this sort of mm-hmm. yeah idea that we're, we're passionate about free yarning, but. We're, we're more passionate about getting people in the water to see yeah. well you know like so call it snorkeling like it's, it's it's really about getting people to look under the water and see what's there for their own eyes mm-hmm. and um you know and then it's it, it's amazing how it melts away that fear yeah totally totally i think that's one of the, probably the best things about being an in-water guide is actually seeing people in real time sort of lose that fear and develop confidence in the water but also you know develop such a huge respect for the animals that live in the oceans you know it's, it's a really really special thing um but yeah so I think basically what the theme of this whole episode is is that it's not a straightforward answer so you know I think a lot of people at home maybe think the question you know should I swim the sharks is quite a simple one you know maybe a yes or no answer or an actual fact it's 
it's really, really nuanced. Um, and there's there's lots and lots of different facets to it and, and different elements to consider. Um, and, you know, one of the, the other positive things, you know, alongside changing public perception of sharks is also the opportunity to conduct things like research. Um, so, for example, one of the things that we do with the Baskin sharks is, you know, while we're in water with people, we actually try and take data uh, on these animals. You know, what size are they? What sex are they? You know, is there anything we can do to ID them? Because, you know, as we've discussed on this podcast before, there's not a lot that we actually know about about sharks themselves. Um, so, so yeah, so there's, there's lots of, you know, different avenues to this conversation. You know, it's a, it's a very nuanced, a nuanced thing. You know, we're, we're to operate with, we're, you know, if we're, if we're making money from taking people to see sharks, which is a sort of like a common resource, then I think we should be doing also something to contribute in terms of uh, monitoring them as well. And, and, and from a research point of view. So I think, um, I think that that goes across the board. I think, you know, we should, we're, we're, we're a platform that can be used for, yes. for, for research, which is really expensive to do if you're just trying to get like funding for a boat to go out as often as we are. So, yeah, definitely. you know, I, I think I think we've got to do that. And I think um, we're, we're comfortable with it. We've taken that sort of balance, look at it and said, you know, we're comfortable with this on the basis um, that sharks right now are in sort of kind of last chance saloon in many respects um and certainly our oceanic sharks um you know in the last 50 years have declined by 70 percent down to sort of overfishing um it's not down to uh shark tourism it's not down to um uh, shark angling even it's down to sort of massive scale overfishing of shark populations through um industrial scale long liners and things like that and um we feel that the benefit that's needed right now or the, 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 the effect that we want to create that is needed right now is a change in public perception of sharks so that we're not as ambivalent around their demise and and you know that actually it is a sort of seen as a massive tragedy that we're in this position that we need to act right now if we're going to turn things around um so from that respect we have decided that it's more important at this point that we, you know, people do sort of see a different side of sharks mm-hmm. and and fall in love with them and quick. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, so I think, you know, but I do, you know, I, we've always wanted to be sort of really transparent about it. But, you mm-hmm. know, it's not it's not the perfect system yeah. either. Um, so I just wondered for anybody who is you know, wanting to head out on a trip this summer or try and have some of those encounters or experiences, what types of things should they maybe look for in an operator if they are looking to go out with somebody? Um, first and foremost, I guess one of the telltale things could actually be the social media. So if you see the social media of a company and you see that there's people in there touching sharks, you can have a look at the way they're talking about their encounters. And if it's clearly that they're not even putting a guide in the water with you, Mm-hmm. Or you can tell by the kind of equipment that the people in the water are wearing if somebody looks overweighted or if it if it looks like there's any kind of harassment going on, then that's a big warning sign, I would say. Um, I'd say that, you know, then check out the company's website, have a look if they talk about codes of conduct, have a look at if they talk about 
um, you know, conservation, if that, if that appears to be something that they're interested in or not, um, or if it is just literally advertising, go on then, go on, jump in with a shark. I'd say be very wary if there's no conservation message be- behind what the company's trying to do and no safety message. Yeah, I think sort of some sort of um, demonstration, I guess, that, that, that it's, there's no sort of guarantees that, you know, that, and also that, you know, that there's sort of the, the vulnerability of the target species then as well is, is, is acknowledged mm-hmm. too, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really nice to sort of bring it round to, you know, a slightly more positive aspect in that, you know, when people ask, should I swim with sharks, you know, the, the, the reasons that you can, that you should swim with sharks are, you know, really valuable. So things like, we don't know much about sharks, for example, and a lot of people don't have the opportunity to actually be in the water with them for most of the days of the season. Um, so it's it's really good to actually have people in the water sort of seeing these animals. And, and a lot of times when we're seeing sort of mating behaviour for the first time or, you know, when we're experiencing new behaviours, it's because people have been out, you know, maybe, you know, as part of tourism um, and are, are watching these animals all the time. So there is that really valuable aspect to it. Um, but yeah, just talking about the question itself, I just kind of wanted to swing back to it and just do a quick summary. Um, so... You know, there's lots and lots of different sides to this question to take into account. Um, you know, obviously, we all work in the tour- tourism industry. So our immediate answer would be, you know, should I swim the sharks? Yes, because it's a brilliant experience and there's a lot to be gained from it. You're supporting, you know, you're often supporting local companies and local operations. Um, and, you know, you're also supporting shark conservation and research when it's done right. Um, but, you know, there's a big but there, which is that we also need to be responsible and conscious of A, who we're going with and B, how it's being done to ensure that we minimise disturbance to the shark um, as much as possible. And also, I really liked your points about being, you know, honest and transparent on social media about your experiences. You know, sometimes we just see a shadow and, you know, that's enough. Um but it's just enough to be in the water with these amazing creatures and to see them in their natural habitat um, and going about their daily business, which I think is really special. Um, but is there, is there anything else that you guys would like to add on that question? Or we've covered quite a, quite a lot of ground there. You know, we don't really get the chance to, I suppose, talk about sort of some of our experiences and, mm-hmm. and, and what we've learned from those. So I think, um, yeah, it's been great exercise as well. Um, so thank you for the opportunity on that as well and like um yeah it's um yeah just wish you as well a great season now let's hope that the weather is kind because i think (laughs) one of of the things i've got to say is like a comparison from the maldives to the to the uk uh like and and taking people out to see wildlife is like my experience so far has been like everyone in the uk is just delighted to be out like if the like yeah and and it's so I suppose it's probably made been, you know, more so with COVID and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, yeah it's a, like generally speaking, I think we're like some of the best like wildlife tourists because um, yeah, our <laughs> expectations are pretty low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. People so, always people always laugh at that actually. Uh, when I've been to other countries, for example, and I've I've actually not been the guide and I've I've been a tourist and I'm just so happy to be there. And uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
my final question is a question that we like to ask all of our guests on this podcast. Um, and that is, if you could be any species of shark or ray, what would you be and why? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Another difficult question, though. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. For some reason, I'm going to say leopard shark. Just oh, nice. They're, they're a bit like the blues in the way that they move is very elegant and sweet. And they the way they sort of sit and sleep around on the reefs. Um, I don't know, I can't give you a really good reason why I want to be one, but just, they are, they are a lovely looking shark. They've always got a smile. They're one of those sharks that's got a permanent smile. (laughs) Um, And for some reason, just reminiscing about uh, Carlanta, where I used to work, it just took me back to being in amongst the leopard sharks every day. It was one of the species I enjoyed interacting with the most. Amazing. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good reason. Yeah. You said you didn't have a good reason. I think that's really good. Yeah. Rich, what would yours be? It's got a lot of admiration for poor beagles. I just think they, um, I just love their attitudes. They just arrive. They just seem like really sort of like impatient and like they just come in. What, what? And then, off they go, you know, sort of like, I just like their attitude. They're just sort of like really, um, and they're also an amazing shark as well, you know, sort of capable of swimming in our waters, which get very cold and, and, and sort yeah. of uh, can, uh, yeah, warm blood and all the rest of it. So they, they're, they're pretty incredible. Predators. Yeah. So I, I'm going to go for bees. They're sort of under, underrepresented, I think. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. I mean, they do, they do have a very particular, a very particular type of attitude. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, but yeah, that was my final question. So thank you so, so, so much for all the time that you've given me um, and all the fantastic answers that you have given to us. And I think we've definitely covered all ground on the question, should I swim with sharks? So yeah, thank you so much and best of luck for the season, guys. Thank you very much, Tyler. So we've come to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the the podcast. And a massive thank you to Nikki and Rich for coming on to chat to me all about shark tourism and so much more. You can follow their adventures on Instagram by heading to at Celtic Deep, which is all one word, or you can head to www.celticdeep.org. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next one and leave us a nice little review on iTunes. This just helps more people to find us. And if you would like a question answered on the podcast or you just want to say hi, please feel free to get in touch by emailing isla at saverseas.com. And big thank you to the Save Our Seas Foundation for supporting this podcast and to David Knight who provided our wonderful jingle. All right, thank you and I'll see you next time.